So today on Vulnerable, we talked to Mara Wilson. She's an actress that many of us know from her many, many roles as a young child star. But she's also an acclaimed writer as an adult, and she is wonderful to chat with. We are good friends, and we talk today on the podcast. I'm Christy Carlson Romano, and this is the Vulnerable Podcast. So um, we're here, and uh, we have the beautiful, amazing, intelligent, and not in all that order, uh, Mara Wilson. Uh, and we're really excited to talk to her on Vulnerable today. Uh, we've been able to chat several times before. Yeah. But what I love about Vulnerable is that we really get into the journey that a lot of people may not really comprehend, um, and kind of coming at it from a place of, hey, like, I see you, you see me. We are friends. Let's chat about it. So welcome to Vulnerable. Yeah, thanks. I always love working with you in any capacity, whether we're doing something fun or we're doing something a little more intense. It's always fun. It's always a good time. And you know what? So we did a cooking show. Yeah, we did, which was fun. That was awesome. Like scoring you as a guest to me was such a big win for me because I had been, I think, reaching out to you and in appreciation of your op-ed and... Yeah, I was like wowed, and then to bring you on my very like lighthearted cooking show felt like <laughs> we're like oh, but there's a tart that we're making, yeah. and yet we want to talk about like exactly childhood exactly. trauma. By the way, this is this is one of my cats. His name is either Basil or Basil, uh, <laughs> and the the cats, of course, every time I'm recording, they come over, and that's when they want attention. He's, so uh, so that's very Basil. So, yeah. That's like a more Basil, not a Basil as much. Well, we call him, I mean, my sister, he's my sister's cat, really. Got it. And uh, my sister's much more easygoing than I yeah. am. So she's like, I don't care what people call him. So she called him Basil, but she has a lot of friends who say Basil. Basil is and, fun. Uh, and, but when he misbehaves, we call him Dweezil. Dweezil. Uh, I, I don't know why. That's another thing that she does, Dweezil. I guess like Dweezil Zappa, but Dweezil Zappa seems like a nice guy, so it has nothing to do with... <laughs> I don't know. And she doesn't even know who Dweezil Zappa is, I don't think. She just heard the yeah. name. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Isn't he? Wait, yeah, Dweezil Zappa's a musician or what is he? He is. He is. He's a musician. Yeah. He's the son of Frank Zappa. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Do you know Dweezil but, Zappa? Uh, I but feel like you know everybody. I don't. Okay. I, I don't. And I don't know if my sister knows who he is, really. <laughs> Although I was in a documentary a couple years ago about uh, about child actors and then I did, um, and, and Alex Winter, who directed that, who was also a child actor, went on to direct another documentary about Frank Zappa. So I guess I do have kind of a six degrees thing it, going honestly, on. Honestly, it's six but, degrees uh, of Mara Wilson all the time because you're, <laughs> you've been around for so long. I, I, I think that like when people say that to me, I'm like, God damn it, I'm old. I get it. Shut the fuck up. But yeah. at the same time, that's not what I mean to say is it's more or less like people don't realize that your career spans so long because we still are relatively young looking. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, people discount well, People that. either think that I'm 12 or that I'm 50 and that it's <laughs> always been that way. Like I just look like, I, I mean, a couple years ago, or actually, no, more than a couple years ago now, more like probably more than 10 years ago, I was working in a, in a middle school and I had somebody come up to me and be like, oh, you're here on a Saturday? And I was like, yes, this is my job. And he was like, oh, sorry. I thought you were like 14 at the most. He thought I was an eighth grader. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's, so that's, that's what. Compliments are a funny thing. And I would imagine that over your lifetime, you've, you've, you've had to see a yeah. very different side of humanity. 
It's it's very it's true. I've kind of gotten I, I've kind of seen all of the all of like the 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 best and the worst, you know, over the years. I feel like I really I, I really have, you know, and some just from my own family, you know, oh, that sucks. The, the, the best and the worst, sucks, you know, yeah. and and which which sucks. Yeah. But I mean, like everybody is crappy relatives. <laughs> and I, I think, though, that like. I but but I really have sort of I, I, it's funny because I remember I was talking with Will at the convention that we did a couple yeah, months Will ago. Friedel. I was talking with people and I kept saying like, oh, I should come to this place. I have a friend who lives there. Oh, I should come here. I, I know someone who lives there. And Will said, we get it, Mara. You have a million friends. <laughs> well, that's nice. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, Will, I'm your friend, too. Like and I told him, actually, I was like, like. Like, let me come over to your house and I'll, like, play board games with you and your wife. Cause, and like, you're, like, truly I, meaning that. Like, okay. Yeah. So let's, I, I, okay, so let's get into this. Because, like, I do feel like we are kindred people and that we don't hold back yeah. for the sake of pe- keeping people comfortable. And we're... I mean, I've tried to do that, but it never works. Yeah. <laughs> it never works. I try to. I'm... I'm I am unfortunately Authentic. and fortunately very sin- <laughs> Yes, I am painfully sincere. I'm painfully sincere. I'm a total tryhard. I I really am. That's just that's just who I yeah. am. And I've tried to be different, you know. I've tried to be different through the years, but it 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 just didn't work. Yeah, and, we got to talk uh, about that cuz I I can relate to that 1000%. And I think it's a lot yeah. of the reason why people really have a hard time transitioning out of childhood in in the industry. And and the the whole name of the game is being a a tryhard, who's the best tryhard. So the best tryhard and a people pleaser. Yeah. And that and that can and and it's not all bad. I want to just put that out there. Like, I I feel like when we've had Alison Stoner on, we were we were really it, it was very important for us to understand that like it's a complex conversation that while people yeah. think that this is simple as a headline in the news and oh look who's like you know spinning out of control now i i'm very uh protective over those kinds of ways of thinking uh because I, it's not yeah. helpful <laughs> i i definitely am too and i also think that i mean i think that probably like we, you, you asked me about my relationship to social media. I did, and uh, I find it very addictive, and uh, and I think that I think that you know the the uh, the irony for me is that I think it makes you feel, or at least when I first started doing it publicly, it gave me the feeling that I had more control over what people were saying about me because I could because I could cut out the middleman and I could just appeal directly to people. And, uh, and I remember because when I was, you know, in, in high school and I wasn't acting anymore, I was in college and I wasn't acting anymore, I would see people like saying, spreading rumors about me. And Where I, were they? and that frustrated me. It was really weird. There was, there was that, uh, well, there was the one that I was dead. There was a rumor that I was dead when I was 12 or 13. And I was a really morbid 12 year old. So I actually just found it funny. <laughs> Uh, I remember thinking like, oh, nice. I'm right up there with Paul McCartney. Because, uh, you know, that, that's that's good company to be in. But I, I I think that I, and I had to laugh it off, you know. And now I look back on that, of course. And I look back on a lot of the things that happened to me when I was that age. And I just think, oh, God, if anybody did that to any child that I care about, I might murder them. <laughs> and so. Your morbidity that you're talking about, is that, that that's got to be 
something that was a reaction to some of the way that you were growing up, though, at the time, right? Oh, definitely. Okay. I mean, some of it was my was my mother's death, uh, okay. I think. Um, like, I mean, you. I was going to say, you know the movie Now and Then. Mm, I love that movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, I love that movie, too. And you, you probably know some people who are in Now and Then. I, I know people who are in Now <laughs> and Then. Uh, and I remember Christina Ricci's character in that really spoke to me because she... Her mother died, and she had her father and two older brothers in that. Right. And I had a father and three older brothers. Mm-hmm. And her whole thing is that she she is a tomboy, but she kind of leans into being a tomboy more than more than really like she she maybe wanted to. And that was definitely my thing too, because I felt like being a girl was kind of a liability, and uh, and it it was a scary thing. And I saw how concerned my father was about the way that the world was going to treat me because I was a girl. Interesting. So I just kind of, I just kind of, and I don't think my dad knew, but my dad is the kind of person, I mean, my dad is who I get my sincerity from. Like my dad also cannot lie. <laughs> and my dad also is very expressive. And so if he's thinking something or feeling something, you will see it on his face, mm-hmm. even if he doesn't say anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so... That, I think, was something that, that was a character that I really related to. And another reason that I really related to her is they say, they say that she keeps trying to make death funny. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, uh-oh, I do that. Yeah, yeah. Why didn't you audition <laughs> and, for this part? Were you too young or were you out? I was too young. Oh, I was man. like six when that came oh, out. I was too oh. young. Although, yeah. But you I saw was, it I was, when you were 12. I, but I saw it at a sleepover when I was nine okay, or ten. And I was like, uh-oh, I know which one I am. <laughs> Uh, and, and there was, there was, uh, and yeah, yeah, that movie really helped. I don't know Christina Ricci, but I feel like I should, if I, if I ever meet her, I should say like, thank you for that because that, that was a movie that really helped me. But I, I was very morbid, and also I think she that, was really morbid. By the way, she went to professional children's school with me, and it yeah. was her time where she's come out in interviews and has talked about the fact that she would cover the mirrors. Um, up in her, yeah. and she was bleaching her hair. She looked very like whole, um, you know. She yeah. looked very like cool, edgy, like sad, like so sexy, but like at the same time, like very like '90s grunge. And I just remember her being very different than the per- like at least looking very different than the person that she presents herself to be as an actor today. And yeah. it was almost like she was doing the whole like indie, like New York film thing you know what I mean for a while yeah it it does seem like she did that for a while and and I've read interviews with her recently where she talks about having done that and uh and I don't think I ever could have done that because I wasn't (laughs) I was never cool (laughs) but but that's one thing that I know I've never been is like people be like oh you're cool as as a person you know they'll they'll mean they'll be like oh it's cool but it's like the same thing from fuck I wish I was cool man yeah, no, I'm not cool. Yeah. I'm not cool. I've never been cool yeah. because I'm because cool people don't care as much. Yeah. And I very deeply care. Yeah. So so that's the thing, is that I can't not care. But but yeah, uh, I No, I think I, I go ahead. I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you. I'm just excited to talk to you. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean the the so the morbidity thing, uh-huh. and I also think I thought because because and, and I've I've heard this too. Like I remember somebody Somebody sent me an article once about Michael Jordan, and they said, uh, they said, in it, he said that he always thought he was going to die young. Mm-hmm. And he said to me, he's like, obviously, you're not Michael Jordan, <laughs> but, but maybe this is why you, you are like this. Maybe that's part of the reason why you've always thought about dying young. Hmm. 
And I said, yeah, I think it's that and I think it's my mother. And my mother did die young. My mother was only 42 when she mm-hmm. died. So I think that those two things definitely made me very morbid. And I also think the morbidity was a reaction to... It's funny. I felt like people got a lot of the wrong messages from my characters and my movies. Or I thought that they saw... Like, Matilda was was a very strong character. She was a very tough person. But people always just wanted to talk about the magic powers or they always say would always say to me, well, I thought I had magic powers after that movie. And I was like, guys, the whole point is that she develops those magic powers in in response to abuse, abuse and and because she gathers knowledge, you right. know, it's allegorical. Mm-hmm. And and it's so funny to me when people will say, I get this all the time. People will say to me, we should do a Matilda too. And if you do a Matilda 2, and and I'm like, I mean, if there were like a good enough script, you know, maybe. Yeah. But I also do feel like the, the you know, I'm not going to turn that down, especially if it's working with, with Danny again, because working with him was wonderful. Yeah. But I also think, and Pam Ferris actually told me an idea she had for a Matilda 2 that I think would be very funny. So, you know, if it was, if it was with that group of people, you know, that's definitely something I would consider. Yeah. But people always say the same thing. They say, there should be a Matilda 2. And in Matilda 2, it should be Matilda's child who has the powers. Mm. And I thought, no, I don't think that would work. Right. Well, for several reasons, I don't think that would work. And first of all, I mean, maybe it's just because I know this character as a child, but it's really hard for me to imagine her like grown up and married with children because it's also like, well, then who is she married to and who are her children? And that kind of forces you to think about like her home life and her relationships and and like her sex life and things like that and things that I just don't think should be speculated on but also I think I mean if you want to speculate on that stuff in fan fiction go right ahead of course but I'm not going to officially sanction that you know of course uh I I I think it's great for when people make fan fiction I think it's really awesome my goal in life is to write something that people write fan fiction (laughs) of but yeah that's always been one of my goals cool but I think that I think that uh, another reason it, w- it wouldn't work is Matilda would want to give any child she had a happy life. Yeah, and I don't think that that's I have where, an idea. And that's where the powers came I from. I'm gonna pitch yeah. an idea for you. There was a yeah. movie that came out a little bit ago called um, the Miss Pettigrews. Um, did you see that? Oh, I heard about that. Really? Yeah, I didn't see it, but I heard about go that. Go see it. Yeah. Please go see it and tell me what you okay. think and text okay. me. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's cool. It's like Tim Burton-esque. It's like, a, it's very whimsical. It's much more of the blockbuster, you know, kind of have to compete with the Maze Runner and the those kinds of things. But it's mm-hmm. it's it's a really beautiful, I really like that kind of movie. Um, what I think mm-hmm. would be interesting is if Matilda actually was running a school that was like working with CPS that would have to take kids in that were abused, and mm-hmm. maybe those kids have developed their own powers, and maybe she's like, yeah, you know, I I've, don't know. I've heard people have suggested that they say they say I think that she could be kind of a Professor X character mm-hmm. from the X Men, mm-hmm. you know, where where she takes in these these kids who have these powers mm-hmm. and she teaches yeah. them, and I think that's a cool idea. I think also the idea of Matilda. I mean, I personally believe that Matilda grew up to be a librarian. I can't see her doing anything right. else. And I can't really imagine 
what her personal life is like. Like, I don't know if she would get married or if she would want to get married. I don't know if she would want to have children herself or raise children herself. I don't really know. I can't really imagine that much about about that because I think that would depend on a lot of different factors in her life. But I could definitely see her being like a children's librarian or working as a librarian and and working with children. That is something that I think that she could be doing. Let me ask you this. Could you see yourself yeah. being a librarian and working as a children's librarian? I mean, probably. I've worked with children. There you I've go. worked with children so many times. I, I still like, like, I, I mean, I don't even know how many jobs I have anymore. But like, <laughs> I still work with children. Yeah. I still, I still, you know, do like volunteer work with children and do like actual job work with children. I'm, I've been, I mean, I worked with at a nonprofit for years where we repainted New York City public schools called Public Color. That was really fun. And, uh, and I worked with kids from ages, I think, like 11 to 20. I mean, some of them weren't really kids anymore. But that was where I was when I was at the school. And uh, somebody thought I was one of the students. Right. But I, I did, I did all kinds of, all kinds of stuff with kids. And I worked with a lot of really wonderful kids. And I've worked in schools. And I've been a nanny. And I've been all kinds of, dude. I, I, I mean, that's something that I like. Matilda doing. as your nanny. That's amazing. You yeah. should have had a Matilda tax. Yeah. There should have been a tax for that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, people, they, they really liked, I remember they used to like it because I would do accents for them. Aww. And uh, and once I remember babysitting somebody and they were like, can we watch Matilda and you can tell us about making Aww. it? And I was like, yeah, sure. Yeah. So. That's cool. I think I got distracted, but like my whole point with social media was that I think I felt for a long time that it would give me kind of control over the narrative around my life. And I remember like pre-Facebook and everything, I, I wrote a letter and I had one of my friends posted anonymously on IMDb because I was really sick of the rumors that I was seeing there. One of the rumors was that I was dead. Uh, I remember there was a rumor going around that I was pregnant. There was a rumor. uh, One that I saw in there was that like somebody saw me at a party and I was very, very stoned, which uh, is very funny because I hadn't been stoned. Like I'd never touched weed. So I was, you know, maybe 20 when I saw this. And it's funny because nobody questioned that somebody had seen this everybody was like yep, and the responses stuff. just evolved into whether or not weed should be decriminalized mm-hmm. and everybody and it's so funny and i just remember looking at that and just laughing so hard because i was like i've never i've never smoked weed i've never been high at a party i was never i was not a partying person yeah. like like that just wasn't who i was yeah. and and there were safety reasons involved yeah. like like it, it was something it was, and I thought that was so funny that it just evolved into that. But I remember asking my friend if she would post something there. I also saw somebody said, oh, yeah, she was in my sorority. And I thought, I wasn't in a sorority. And I went to NYU. I, I don't even know if we had sororities. Yeah, I'm not sure. We might I have, but I think. I don't know if NYU yeah. had Greek life. I know Columbia did. I mean, NYU kind of did. Yeah. But I think we, we had a couple. But I mean, I knew some guys who were in fraternities, but I don't think I knew any girls who were in sororities. Oh, people are so, so who weird. even knows? Yeah. But I, uh, yeah. So I, but I wanted to reclaim that narrative. Right. And I think that's why I was so dominant on Twitter for most of my 20s was I was like, I need to speak for myself. I need to speak for myself. I need to speak for myself. And it's really only been the past few years where I've been like, how much do I need to say? Right. And is this the best outlet for it? Girl, you got to get picky because people people will take yep. whatever, you, they'll take all of you. And that's why I have so much respect for the time that you share with me and talking to me and why yeah. I don't want to just start 
the you know start the conversation from hey miracle on you know it's like I don't want to have to go back down that road. What I'm definitely yeah. interested in is what you were talking about with in regards to all of the jobs and also even before that <clears throat> how you became on my radar after obviously growing up with you and loving you and all that. Sadly, never meeting you. I don't think. Yeah. Um, but I think you had, by the time I was doing the Disney thing, I think you had, you were, you were not doing that. You were doing the college thing or something. No. Yeah. I by mean, I saw I you six, on TV. <laughs> I was going to say, by the time I was 16, I, I think you were probably just not, I, I want to know where you were. Where were you when I was 16? Well, I think that I was, I mean, by, by middle school, I was burned out, which is a very funny oh, thing to say. I hate but... to hear that. I know I was I was just and I was going through a lot in my life at the time like somebody who was like a real mother figure to me like went out of my life and then uh, I my dad got remarried and that was a big adjustment because that's a really hard time (laughs) for for to, to get to bring a new parent into the picture. And I mean, my dad, you know, was was doing like what he really believed was the right thing, but it was. It was very hard. And so there were a lot of big changes in my life. And there were a lot of people around me that there were some people around me who were not very helpful. And then there were some people around me who were very helpful and were very, you know, loving and caring. Okay. So you were, you were roughly what, when your dad was got engaged, you were 12? No, your mom passed at 12, but how old were you? No, my mom passed when I was eight. Okay. And then my dad got remarried when I was 13. Got it. So, and I remember looking it up and I think actually like, I mean, I had like the type of college boyfriend who would like take a psychology class and then come home and be like, I think it's this psychology problem that we're having. And I'd be like, oh, for God's sake. But <laughs> but I remember him him saying to me, he said, you know, uh, developmentally, you were at the worst age to lose a parent and you were at the worst age to gain a step parent. Oh, jeez. Well, but and no, what he, didn't, like, what he didn't take into account was that you were also leaving a part of your 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 industry and and, the, and yeah. that amount of notoriety that you had, it's very hard to put all of that into words. And it's certainly at the age that you were at. It is. And it's it's like, it's it, it was very hard. And also it was, I mean, it was very hard, but it was also just so much. I mean, it was kind of a loss in some ways because it had been a constant in my life. Yeah. Which is something that I think is very... That is something that people don't understand is that it can be a constant in your life and it can be a comforting thing. You mean the, the industry, the industry and the, the success. industry can be. Mm-hmm. And and uh, and because people look at it and they think that it's so that it's so unpredictable and yeah. it is. But first of all, I think it's it's more unpredictable for adults because with children, there's a smaller pond. Oh, my God. Yes, absolutely. And if you yeah. And if you work once as a child actor, you know, reputation goes pretty far. So yeah. if you work if you work pretty well as a child actor, you tend to get booked again and again right. because people like to work with you and it's word of mouth. Right. So there was so much upheaval in my life that acting became that that thing for me. But I think I was burned out on acting because I didn't get the same joy out of it that I did performing on stage. Okay. And I also, and that was really what I wanted to do. Like that was something that I thought was fun. And because you have an, when you have an audience, there's a connection there. Mm -hmm. And so I always used to say theater feels more real. Yeah. Because it's in the moment. It's, yeah, it's in the moment and you have a connection with an audience. Yeah. 
And so that's something that I really liked doing more. That was something that I really had a fun time with. So when you stopped and doing the film, um, uh, you stopped sort of actively looking or loving the film, like acting yeah, for film. Were you starting to do more theater then? And we just didn't see yeah, it? Yeah, I was. I and was. we didn't know But about it was it. more... Well, it was just more stuff at school. Okay. It was just, I mean, I had an I had an improv class at school, which is a very, which tell me you grew up in LA without telling me you grew, you grew up in LA. Yeah, I took improv comedy in the '90s at at my middle school. Yeah. So that was something, and I got really into choir too because, and that was the funny thing was that I was actually really scared to be on stage mm -hmm. because it was totally different than than I had really bad stage fright, yeah. which I. Which I eventually got over. And but how'd you get I had over terrible it? Terrible stage, right? I I just I think it was doing improv classes and, and just dying on stage over and over again because improv it doesn't always work. Oh my god! And it's so funny because they call that exposure yeah. therapy, right? Your boyfriend knew it that is from like college. exposure therapy. <laughs> it is like exposure For therapy, real? yeah. And so I I did that and I I started doing that and and. And like, and I also I I joined I joined choir and I started singing because I'd always loved music, but I'd never really. And I took voice lessons for a while, but I'd never actually pursued it, and I was too scared to sing on stage. And I still don't think that I I never sang any solos in choir or anything. I was too scared to do that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, maybe did like a duet once or twice, but it was. That I felt you get the immediate dopamine hit, you get that, which is so different than being on a film set where sometimes it's very fun and exhilarating and sometimes it's just very dull and tedious. Yeah, it's a lot of hurry up and, and wait. People don't realize 12 hours a day is it can be very, yeah. very tedious. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's on and off. And I was so, I was so, just the immediate rush. I was like, this is amazing. I, I love this. I want to do this more. Yeah. So I, I started doing that more because I was like, this feels real. Also, I was a very pretentious preteen. So I was just like, theater's more real. Mm -hmm. And I kind of moved away. It's funny in a way because I moved away from film in the same way that I think a lot of people move away from like their family and their religion and like maybe even their culture right. when they're a teenager mm -hmm. and they distance themselves. And it wasn't until... I, and, and I and I had that. If you if you talk to a lot of theater people, you will hear them disparage film. Yes, like, disparage an entire medium. Yes, because it's not really real, mm -hmm. and and you don't really you know film is a director's medium, and and uh, you're just and a prop. Theater is an acting. Right, you're, you're just, just a prop. A prop. Mm -hmm. You're just cattle. Mm -hmm. And uh, feels that and, way. <laughs> yeah, it does feel that way, and it does feel that way, and it is true that for a long time the idea of sort of you know auteur theory and film, like oh well, it's just that it's all goes down to the director. It all goes down to the director is, you know, a load of crap yeah. and has led to the enabling of some very dangerous behavior. That's so true. Uh, sometimes, you know, death and assault and things like that. Yeah. So, uh, but I think that I, so I think that theater for me was just where I was like, oh, well, this is more real. And then as I got older, you know, what happened was my my first serious relationship was, was, the, was with a film major. Mm -hmm. And so we just started watching movies together and it was... It was sort of, you know, wow. people, well, people talk a lot about man. So you were a film major? I wasn't. I was a theater major. You're a theater major. Okay, I sorry. I was a theater your first, major. You said your first relationship was with a film yeah, major. Yeah, but he was a film major. 
He was a film okay. major. That's interesting. Okay. And he got me back into film. He got me back interested in in film and filmmaking. And I wow. And and I, I started. Well, he just showed <laughs> me a lot of movies, and I I just mm. thought about all the artistry in them and and being a part of them and because I'd I'd seen you know I I never really cared for the like there were film students at my art school but I didn't really care for them because they were just a lot of them were just kind of you know they were burnouts who weren't really doing very much and maybe one or two of them would make like an actual good beautiful film and the rest of them were just kind of you know, fooling around. Now I went back to that school in the film department. The film department had only been around for a year or two at the time, so they were just kind of building it. Now I went back and what I saw What college was it? What? This was oh, okay. Wait, so NYU. This, was, this is wait, no. This wasn't NYU yet. I went to I went to uh, an art school called Idlewild Arts Academy, and it was an arts boarding oh, school. Oh, okay. And this uh-huh. also is why I have this big gap in my pop culture knowledge from like two thousand two <laughs> to two thousand five. Because Girl, I was that's at my time. School. How do you even okay. know who I am? <laughs> I knew you because I would come home and my sisters and my sisters and my sister and my cousins would be watching Disney Channel. So of course I knew ah, you. Okay. Of course I knew You'd you. You'd be like, oh, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta know what's going on. Okay, yeah. got it. And got it. and I was just like, yeah. And I never thought that I would meet you or get to know you because I always felt like people who are on the Disney Channel were like in a totally different category. And I was like, oh, oh she's probably God. like too cool and pretty and rich to ever meet me. <laughs> That's so not the case at all. Yeah. And then we actually <laughs> met and we were just like, oh, wow, kindred spirits. But um, Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But but so, so you were at the boarding school and then you ended up. And then I went NYU. to NYU. And so the Got kids it. at the boarding and school. Falling back in love. Mm-hmm. The, the, so, yeah, for me, I went to middle school and then I went to two years of public high school. And the public high school that I went to was in Burbank. And uh, mm-hmm. show choir was huge there. This was like apparently... The rumor is that uh, that Ryan Murphy watched our old videos and that was the inspiration for Glee. Uh, wow. It was intense, but it was – there was a lot of competition. There were a lot of mean girls. There was a lot of very crude, horrible boys. There was uh, – there, really? were, there were a lot of parents. It was very – because it wasn't – it wasn't like you joined because you wanted to be in musical theater, which is what I was hoping it would be. It was – you were there because you wanted to be Justin Timberlake. You were there because you wanted to be Britney Spears. You wanted to be Beyonce. You wanted to do Kids Bop. You wanted to be Kids Bop. Yeah. I mean, kind of. Like, actually, one of the one of the kids, the kid who was, like, the star soloist for us also did uh, also did voiceover, and he was an actor as well. And, and yeah. uh, it's so funny because there were a hierarchy of, like, which kids were cooler, which kids did. Theo, don't stand on my mic, okay? Um, sorry, my cat tried to climb onto my mic. That's totally fine. We he, love cats. <laughs> he's a mama's boy. He's a mama's boy. He he doesn't like to be too far from me. But uh, yeah, but yeah, we did. So, and there were so many child actors where I lived because I lived in Burbank, where yeah. where all the studios are. And it's so funny now yeah. because when I do voiceover, I'm almost inevitably always going back to Burbank to record. Yeah. And so it's so yeah. weird to be, I mean, I took a meeting at Disney a couple years ago and they're like, so you're from here, right? And I pointed out the window and said, that's the hospital where I was born. 
Oh my god, I love that. Yeah, they love so, that too because they're crazy and they're like, "Wow." Yeah, I mean, I mean, she's there's been a, here this whole time. There's a Disney Elementary School in Burbank. There's, it's a That's big right thing. for the employees, right? The employees have the option of. Oh, maybe, but there's a, there's sure. an elementary school named after Disney. But I wonder if oh, they actually. Oh, I'm sorry. There is childcare that mm -hmm. uh, is a daycare that has, I think, sort of like a curriculum element to it that is uh, yeah. right across from the lot, and um, the employees can send their kids there. Yeah. Um, but I don't know a lot about it. I will say, in terms of random jobs, yeah. which I definitely want to get into, I don't know if you know this, but I interned on the Disney lot as a um, production intern in Did a post-production department at ABC Studios. And I, I have some random-ass stories to tell you about. But I, I, it's, was the, uh, what, it's hard because... The food there was go good. Go for it. They oh my had God, a really so good, good. They had a really good... And it's funny, though, because the cafeteria there is really good. And then I I went to the DreamWorks one, and it is better than Disney's. And I was like, this is mm. so, I bet what happened is somebody went to the Disney cafeteria, and they were like, this is really good. Let's make it one step better than Disney's. Because DreamWorks <laughs> and Disney are always in competition with each other. Yeah. So, well, until Disney owns DreamWorks, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it, it, which will probably happen. I thought they happen. did. Do they? They yeah. might, actually. They oh might. God. Who even knows anymore? Oh, my God. But, Who even knows? But there's, I was like, I was like, this is so funny that theirs is just a little bit better. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. So my, my whole thing was middle school, I was burnt out. Uh, yeah. Middle school and the beginning of high school, I got more into performing. Show choir got there it. was very competitive. Uh, yeah. And then when did you go to Idlewild? Was that just a summer thing, or was that no? That was a, that was a your... that was a I I was at my at my public high school for two years, and I was really depressed. Yeah. It was oh. it was not a great school, and it was not a, at the time. I mean, now it's a much better school, but it was not. Was it Burbank High? It was Burroughs High. It was Burroughs High. I think I went to the prom of Burroughs. Oh, really? Yeah, it so. was just, I did not fit in there, and I was going through a rough time at home, and, you know, fighting with my parents, yeah. and nothing, like, serious, yeah. but uh, but it well, was just... Well, it sounds just, like with, the, with your stepmom coming into the picture, it was probably an adjustment time. It was. It, it was, was a major adjustment, and there were things yeah. that she and I still don't agree on, uh, like... Yeah. She very want much. She's Catholic and very much wanted me to be Catholic. And my mother mm. was Jewish, and uh, mm. I was very strongly Jewish. And I, I really mm -hmm. think that she believed she was doing the right thing, but sure. it it felt disrespectful to me. It felt yeah. disrespectful to my mother's memory, and it felt disrespectful to my own beliefs and culture. So, uh, yeah. so we were fighting about that and fighting about other things. And I was like struggling with my sexuality and struggling with my friend group and struggling with all kinds of different things. And uh, yeah, and my my parents said, I remember I came home one day and there was like a or or I, I woke up in the morning and there was a brochure and my parents had said like why don't you try going to a different school? Why don't you go? And at the time, they really believed that private schools were better than public schools, which is not true. <laughs> but they said to me, why don't you go to a different school? And I, I would say, no, 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 because I don't want to leave behind choir. And choir at, yeah. choir at Burroughs was kind of a cult. Uh, mm -hmm. it, it, it kind of was. Um, yeah, you were, but you felt safe in that though. It kind of well, I felt like... safe when I was performing. I I felt safe. Yeah. I mean, there were there were girls in there who would bully me. Like, 
different kinds of different kinds of bullying and different in different kinds of ways and there were yeah, there were sure. boys in there who were like exceptionally creepy but got away with a lot because you know they were a tenor and they They're, needed tenors yeah. and there was there was so much stuff there and there was like a lot of politics where they would be like if you misbehaved you get knocked down to one of the lower choirs and like they favored the mixed choirs so much more they didn't like the girls choirs as much it was so much there was so much. That's so interesting because you came from such a, com like the most competitive environment. And then how does that feel to then know that, you know, you're this movie star that is now in the school well, scenario? I, I, I think that, well, I always, I actually used to say to people, everybody says Hollywood is fake, but high school is way more fake. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. it was also, I think, and this was probably one of the biggest conceptions about me was that I must be selfish and self-absorbed and self-obsessed and egotistical. And so I think that was yeah. one of the things that like the choir director and the choreographers who were really mean would do. They would be like, oh, well, she needs to get knocked down a peg. Let's put her in one of the beginner <sighs> choirs. They always thought I needed to be knocked down a peg. I mean, and and there was yeah. also... I've got a similar experience. I do, I do relate to that. 100%. There was also a hierarchy of child actors there. Like uh, for some reason... For some reason, like, the kids who were on Seventh Heaven were considered cooler. And, like, the coolest of all kids were in Gap commercials and uh, were, Interesting. were models. And, uh, and, and I wasn't as cool because I was in children's movies. Mm-hmm. And that was... I get that. I actually experienced that, yeah. to be honest with you. Because I was never in CW shows. Right. And I was in Disney shows. So even to this day, a lot of the CW gals get the Hallmark movies because people grew up fantasizing about them and now they've done a full circle. Well, now they're moms. Right. So with with me, it's it's like this whole weird thing of, is she a celebrity or isn't she? Right. And I've... I, I've lived my life independently of that, and I've I've taken to social media to control that narrative too. So yep. social media, I think, also can be positive because it can bring people of like minds together yeah. in its best form. I've seen that on TikTok um, uh, faster than I had ever experienced it on Twitter. I, it's interesting that you talk about social media and bullying and all that because my experience on Twitter has simulated that of being bullied in high school. Oh, no, same. Absolutely same. I, I don't. Okay. I'm, I'm not really interested in Twitter anymore, really, I think. Okay. Every now and then I go back on there because there's people on there that, like, I've met and loved. And it'll be, yeah, like, interesting. you know, and, and it'll be people that I wouldn't talk to otherwise. It's, like, people who, like, have a cute cat or dog who live in Australia and, like, writers mm -hmm. who live in Nova Scotia and, you know, veterinarians who live in Chicago and, and like... All these like super awesome people, you know, that that I, mm -hmm. I agree with, you know, on different things and I feel very strongly about and but I think that it is addictive for me. And I think that it's sort of like, like being on Twitter kind of reminds me of when I did this in middle school and in high school a little bit too, where I felt like I needed to be the funny one in class and I would make jokes all mm -hmm. the time. And I thought to mm -hmm. myself, I, I thought about it later and I was like, if I could stop if I had stopped trying to be funny and I had actually tried to focus on, you know, geometry or, <laughs> or, or English class or, you know, practicing my irregular Spanish verbs, how much better would it would have, would it have been? But I think that I was always thinking short term. I, I couldn't imagine mm -hmm. long term for myself. And I, mm -hmm. I, I didn't ever think that I would be 34. <laughs> so... <laughs> And and I think that's well, yeah. I, yeah. I wasn't it goes sure. Goes back to the morbidity. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I I yeah. just couldn't imagine myself. I just couldn't imagine myself at this age. And uh, and do you and feel so, like do you 
can you answer answer honestly to this? Do you feel like you grew up too soon? Yes, definitely. Okay. Definitely. Okay. I Okay. I think that But that doesn't necessarily mean that you were traumatized or abused by no, the industry. It but just I means that you soon. grew up. I mean, too I soon. do think okay. in It's funny because I don't think I was traumatized by the industry, but I was traumatized by the experience of being famous. Yes. That's something that I say a lot that people don't quite understand because they always say, oh, Hollywood is so sick. Hollywood is so twisted. And I say, my experiences on Hollywood sets weren't really bad. I had some right. that were not okay. There were there were a lot of times where I think like they would ask me to work overtime and that wasn't okay. Yeah. Or there would be like- Yeah, nobody- Yeah. There were it's actors, a corrupt system. There were actors who were bullies. <laughs> there were actors who were, you know, who said inappropriate things around me. Things mm -hmm. like that where I, there yeah. was actually a story I wrote in a book about, you know, an actor who'd been in the industry for a long time who made an inappropriate joke to one of uh, to one of the camera assistants. And yeah. I wrote that and I, I wrote that into my book and my editor said, I think we need to take this out because we could be sued. <laughs> and this was pre me oh, too. Really? But it happened you know. to you. Well, you should no, be it, able to say it if it's true. It didn't happen to me. It happened. I, I saw it happen to somebody else. And oh. pre me too, there weren't a lot of there weren't a lot of you know there was a lot of like uh oh we need to be careful about this. So I was like yeah. okay that's a story that I'll maybe tell another day. And uh, yeah yeah yeah. And I think that but but for me it was the experience of being famous that was the traumatic part. It was everybody knowing my name. It was it was the people pleasing part. It was the the pressure on me. It was it was uh, you know and it was things that I I but kind of tried to to shy away from and. And people will, always, will often say like, like people, I've heard some people say to me like, cause I, 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 somebody like made a snide comment about child stars on Twitter and I shouldn't have engaged, Ugh. but I did. And yeah, I said, you can't help it. I said like, I did that the other day. Yeah. I, it's a bad habit. But, but somebody said, wrote back to me saying, well, they're child stars. You are, uh, you were just a child actor. And I'm like, okay, well, I've, first of all, I've never claimed that I was a child star because it was drilled into my head when I was a kid that the only stars are in the sky. There's no such thing as as a star. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. I, I, I was like, okay, I agree with that. But a lot of the reason that I wasn't as famous was because I did not choose to be. Like there were yeah, parts. I know that. I yeah, get that. There were, there were a lot of choices that I made. And the reason that I took so many children's roles was my parents were trying to protect me. But mm -hmm. they couldn't. That was the thing. Instead, I just got, you know, I got maybe even worse perverts <laughs> because they were <laughs> fetishizing a child, you know, and, and getting right. like, and it's so weird when you are the awkward girl at school and you have like bad teeth and like your bra straps always showing and people and you have acne and you're so, and you're so awkward, but full grown men are sending you letters. That is yeah. a that is a strange thing where I was like, where I realized, you know, and I actually we talked about this because there was a show that you did a pilot for Ooh, that what? I that I the one about boarding school. Yeah, boarding school where yeah. they wanted me to audition for like the fat girl part. And, oh, ridiculous. OK. And I at the time, like I I mean, I was there, there and, and I went there and I was like. I don't think I was, I don't know if I was fat at that age. I don't think that I was, but I told them, I was like, I don't think I quite fit the body type that you want for this, this character. And they're like, oh, we just put you in really big clothes. 
I was like, okay, the Jan from Greece thing, you know, which yeah, interesting. Now I think about that, and I'm just like, that is so disgusting on so many levels. But I read for it. Yeah. I didn't get it, and I remember the whole time thinking there was another part in there that I really wanted to get because I thought that she was a character that I could relate to more, and I thought that she would be more fun. Which to one play. was it? It was the one who who is always going through phases. Oh, I love that one. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. She I, was I remember, hilarious. I remember reading it, and I thought, I thought this yeah. is a character that I could play because she was she was much funnier, and I really and I thought she was kind of neurotic, and I was like, yeah. oh, I could do that. She's she's yeah. you know, and and then I looked at like I saw the headshots for the girls that were being called back for her, and I was like, oh, okay. I get it now. Yeah, so that's interesting too because you know, um, I was forced to wear a really big padded push-up bra for that show. Yeah, and um, they basically told us that Fox said that we had to do that, and I was sixteen at the time, and I was just coming off, or no, maybe I was eighteen. I don't know. Was I eighteen? How old was I? I was right after Even Stevens, but no matter what I was looking like at the time, they were like, you need to amplify it. And it was like really tasteless, if you ask me, because I was yeah. kind of like, I was just kind of like, uh, yeah, yeah, this isn't how you go about that well, with a bunch of girls. Like, this isn't a good start. Well, I had a lot of problems, actually, because it and it's funny because like there was a it's funny because there was a movie that I auditioned for where they wanted me to play a totally androgynous character. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because I look, a, now I look back at all the other actresses that I went out for the same parts with, and I'm like, okay, so it was Mae Whitman and Evan mm-hmm. Rachel Wood and, mm-hmm. uh, and Aaliyah Shockett and, uh, and who else? Oh, and Kristen Stewart. Kristen Stewart got like five parts that I didn't get. And I look back at it and I'm like, oh, they, they said they wanted a tomboy type but I think all of us grew up to be gay or bisexual. <laughs> so I'm like, casting directors, they, they, they know things even before, you know, the kids themselves know it, I think, because that we were a type. We were, we were the tomboy type for a while. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and so. Is Mae Whitman, is Mae Whitman queer? I don't know, actually. She's a friend of mine. I don't know. Okay. I, I've, yeah. I've seen her. Oh, and Kylie Sparks too. Kylie Sparks is non-binary, and I think pan. Okay. And and yeah, and, how and, interesting! And, I never thought about that. Yeah, I don't know if I don't know if Mae Whitman is. I've I've seen her like make jokes on Twitter about like dating Queen Latifah and stuff, which was like something that I wanted when I was a teenager. I was in love with Queen Latifah, <laughs> so like Queen Latifah in Chicago ruined me. But I I so I, I I don't know if she is or not, but I know that she's at least made jokes about it and is sure, you know. Sure. So I don't know if that that's yeah. how she identifies, but but So when you when did you start to realize it, it you were going through something in the high school phase? And yeah. you were mentioning that you had a there were girls you know, that I was there were girls that I was in love with and who did not sure. you know who 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 did not feel the same way but sure. I kind of suppressed that part of myself for a long time because sure. I felt that uh, I felt that I I couldn't I, I, I was too afraid to I I, I yeah. felt like this the the burden of of everything on me and I really only owned up to yeah. it. Uh, you know, and, and, and I, and everybody around me like knew that I'd had 
girl crushes or that I'd like. Like, I remember when I came out to one of my best friends from college, she was like, yeah, I've seen you make out with three different girls. Like, I know that you (laughs) – and not just in a, like, you know – this is like a, a, you know, a silly thing I'm doing on a dare. Like you were into right. it. And I was right, like, yes, right, right. but I'm f- officially claiming it now. And and so yeah. I just kind of said that I, I, I kept collecting exceptions. I was like, well, she was an exception. She was an exception. She was an exception. And Interesting. one of my best childhood friends said that he, for a long time, he would be like, well, I'm not gay. I just really admire this man. And I heard that and I remember thinking, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, because that was the way that I felt too. And, you know, that he really, I really admired these girls and wanted to be around them and thought their hair smelled really good. And, you know, it was, it was like that. But, and I think that was another reason why I left my, my, my school was because it was just too difficult for me. There were, there were things there where I'd like had crushes on girls and there was just weird rejections and there was just all kinds of meanness and, and cruelty sure. and uh yeah confusion and yeah fear and, and it all felt that much stuff. better yeah. to go to a place and I mean I was in like the gay straight alliance at school but it was theory versus practice you know and then I went to mm-hmm. when I went to Idlewild because oh yeah and I never finished telling the story I came downstairs one morning and my dad had this brochure on the table mm. and uh and they knew that like I was fine with being independent I was fine with being away from my parents I had and this is something that I think is crazy now when I think about it. I had lived in other countries away from my parents starting at, I think, age 12, maybe, age oh, 11. Wow. Like, I had wow. been in other countries with, with you know, I, I, I essentially lived in Toronto without my dad for several yeah. months when I was, when I was, uh, when I was in, you know, seventh grade. And I was happy yeah. with it. I loved it. You had a guardian. You I had did a guardian have a guardian. Right? I did have a guardian. Okay. Her name was Lucy. She was wonderful. I also had a studio okay. teacher named Lori who was absolutely wonderful. So I had people looking out for me. That's good to hear because I don't have a very good opinion about most studio teachers. But We were very choosy about mine. I, I, worked, I worked with one uh, Richard Wickland on and off for several years, and he was wonderful. And then, That's uh, cool. And then I I went to I went to uh, when I went to Toronto we had one that uh, Lisa Jacob had worked with, and she was wonderful and uh, and she she's worked oh, yeah. with a lot of yeah and she worked with I think I botched her name shoot when we did that that Comic Con panel I it's said could, Lisa Lisa's Canadian no she did probably, I say Jacob she okay, she goes by so Lisa sweet. Jacob Jones so you okay. know. But uh, but she's right. she's wonderful and and this actor had worked with this this uh, teacher had worked with like every she worked with Tara Strong a lot when Tara was like mm-hmm. very young she worked with a lot wow. of Canadian actors Gosh, Tara. and uh, you know worked with people who were on Degrassi and like all these things uh, she worked with like the one child that was on Queer as Folk <laughs> like I think somebody on that show dated like someone who was still married and had a kid you know and still in the closet but we uh, she was wonderful but my parents knew that I was okay being away from home you know yeah so so yeah. I I uh, they they went to they took me to uh, they, they they had this brochure for me and I looked it over, and I think one of the things that really sold it for me was, first of all, I would be studying theater and be able to do my classes. But another thing that sold it for me was 
I really wanted to get out of there. I wanted to be away from Hollywood. I wanted to be away from Southern California. I wanted to be somewhere else. I had this very sort of like ladybird thing where I was like, I yes. want to go where real artists are. Ladybird, yes, yes, yeah. yeah. Ladybird, Lady that's Bird, a great movie. Very, very much like I want to go where real writers are from, where real artists are from, and. Uh, and then, of course, I went to New York and realized, oh, wow, people are shallow here, too. It's just shallow in a different way. Uh, yep. as much shallow as, with cigarettes and wearing black. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, so, and, and, and yeah, there's, it's, it's a very shallow kind of nihilism. So I, mm-hmm. I was like, I, I just wanted to get out. And I remember looking there yeah. and I, the colleges that I was looking at, I think, were University of Michigan and NYU. Because I knew that mm-hmm. University of Michigan had a good theater program. And I've always loved the Midwest. So uh, although now I've realized that uh, my seasonal affective disorder is really bad, so I probably shouldn't ever live there. Uh, Or New York, I guess, huh? It was a hard, I had a hard time in New York. I mean, I remember being like, being in Toronto and being like, I love the seasons here. And then I actually lived somewhere, I lived in New York where there were seasons. And I was like, oh, seasonal allergies, seasonal migraines, seasonal affective disorder. This isn't fun. So yeah. And, and I thought about going, I thought about going to school in Canada too. And I remember looking at the list of college acceptances there that, that Idlewild students had gone to and they'd gone to colleges like colleges in Toronto and they'd gone to University of Michigan and they'd gone to NYU. And I thought, oh, I don't know. My grades aren't good right now. I, hmm. I, I couldn't focus at school. I was depressed. Right. I felt right. like I didn't get, it was a very big school. So I had no individual attention and, and, uh, hmm. And a lot of people there, you know, and I can't really blame them because like Burbank is like a nice place to live, but a lot of people just kind of hung around Burbank forever after they graduated. Yeah. And, you know, a couple of them would like go, go to, you know, San Francisco State or, or UC Mm. Berkeley and they would get out of town for a while. Uh, Yeah. But I remember thinking, yeah, Chapman, (laughs) Chapman was another one. But I remember thinking, well, I want to go away. I want to go away. I want to be out of here, but I don't know how to do that. And so I Got went it. to, I went away to Idlewild. I, I went, my parents took me and I auditioned and I remember breaking down crying because I was just so happy to be there. And I felt like I could be open about my mental health and open about having crushes on girls. And I didn't come out there because I think I sort of had like queer imposter syndrome where I was like, well, everybody here is much gayer than I am. And I've just had a few crushes on girls, but I, I don't know. And it also felt, you know, it it was a small school, you know, mating in captivity kind Mm -hmm. of thing. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I, I, but I really loved it there. And I found, like, I had a teacher there who was, who's still a mentor to me and who, who taught me. Oh, that's great. All about theater. And, and I learned I learned so much more and it made me really what I realized when I was there was that I didn't just want to be an actor. Like mm-hmm. I just didn't I didn't just want to be a theater actor. I wanted to direct and I wanted to work behind the scenes and I wanted to write. I really wanted to write. I was too scared to write, but I wanted to write and I wanted to be involved in the process. I liked being part of a team. I even liked okay. like I learned how to build sets and like carpentry was so much fun for me and painting yeah. was so much fun for me. And because I learned those skills I actually got, because I learned those hands-on skills, that's how I got my job later on where I was painting schools with kids, was I learned how to wall paint at Idlewild. And the teachers there were like, you're going to have to learn how to do all these things because you will be able to get jobs based on them. One of of my classes, I had to sew sew a skirt for myself. That was my final project. 
And uh, and I sewed a skirt for myself and then I wore it to college auditions. And I could wow. say, by the way, I made this skirt. Yeah. So, and it's like a topic to talk about. Exactly. So it was, yeah. and that I think is something, and that's why I'm always saying my kids will learn hands-on practical skills. Not just, oh, I yes. mean, not just things like, like, like there's a whole thing now with our, it's, or I think this was actually a bigger thing a few years ago. Like everybody needs to learn to code. And it's like, yeah, okay, you should probably know a little bit of that just because that's going to serve you well. But everybody should also know how to knit yeah. and how to sew uh-huh. and how to yeah. handle, you know, and, and how to, to, you know, Absolutely. use a power drill and know how to mm-hmm. wall paint and all of these things. Yeah. They should know at least a little bit of it. So that well, was something Well, you know, it's interesting really you talk about, you've talked about gender uh, without actually mentioning gender. And um, it's not something that I generally talk about, but I really do have thoughts on it insofar that when we grew up, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I do think that gender norms were very strict. Um, obviously it's way more fluid now and everyone's on some sort of the spectrum, whether they're like super conservative or super not. Now, what I found interesting about growing up with, in, 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 in your tomboy casting, what you were talking about is, I mean, I didn't perceive you to be a tomboy growing up. I mean, I felt like you were very much just the every girl. Um, and it does seem interesting to me that at a point at which you started to mature, and come of age, it seems as though they were pushing you towards that casting. And maybe they knew, maybe they didn't, but you know, those gender norms affect us and those castings affect us in so many ways. Like as kids, they're like, well, you know, I'm cast as like, you know, the, the, uh, the ingenue. So I'm going to, you know, just do everything this way. And you rebel against it too. Yes. You rebel yes, against girl. it. You rebel against it the same way you rebel against your parents and your teachers. It's 100% just, because it's the biggest authority in exactly. your life. Exactly. And, and that's why I industry. pushed myself away from it because I was sick of it. And I felt also that I was uh, – Matilda was really the character that I felt I had the most in common with. And, the Matilda, and Matilda was the character that I really loved the most because, I mean, I wasn't as smart as she was, but there were – but I did love learning. I, I wasn't as academic as as her. I, I was always distracted in class. I don't know if it was, it's ADHD brain, which I was, you know, diagnosed with several years later. I, I, I think that for me, I would always just kind of like, you know, get distracted and my mind would wander. Uh, although if it were something like reading or writing that I really loved, I would sort of hyper focus. And, you know, I always got straight A's in, in English and literature classes. But uh, and I was pretty good in language classes, too. But I... My mind would struggle with something if I couldn't understand. And I also think yeah. that being on a film set where you're told you have to do something until you get it right does sort of put this this fear of failure into you. So it was like, well, if I'm going to yeah. fail, why even try? That's something. Also, like, you have to get it right, but you have to get it right in 15 minutes. Exactly. And it's like, that's not how kids work. No, like, they it's have not. To, like, so I would give up on it. That reinforces mm-hmm. it. And that is, I think, one of the biggest issues with child actors is the fear of failure. And that is something that I always tell the kids that I work with, like you, you in, in any capacity, I'm like, it's okay to make mistakes. Nobody's going to be mad at you if you make a mistake. You know, you made yeah. a mistake. Okay, we, we, we try again. And a lot of times you learn better from mistakes. A hundred percent. So, but 100%. that was something That's that amazing. I think that we, you know, we, we didn't get as kids. We didn't get a chance to make mistakes. And then we didn't get no. a chance to make mistakes because we were, we were... I mean, we were, we were, we had the pressure from outside. And I mean, I've, I've always said that, yeah, having, and having a fan base is often like, 
it's often like having another set of parents that, you know, maybe don't actually love you that much, (laughs) whose love is conditional. So, so you have to do, and, and, you know, I've had to tell people, you know, things about myself and they're saying like, oh, you never did this, you never did that. And I'm like, well, no, I, I couldn't because I was a role model to children. You know, I, yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't, I never wanted to shoplift, but even if I had wanted to, I couldn't have done it because I knew the consequences and the consequences So you would be, felt pressure, you, you felt some pressure to like, to, to rebel in the way that people typically rebel, like, like in order to like kind of grow your brand in some ways? I think that I, I, I wanted to play, I thought it would be fun to play more of a brat because I thought that people thought I was too cutesy and like more more and and that they were sick of that they didn't like that they thought I was too cute and and I would hear people say that uh and then as I got older it it became sort of a different thing and also I was a tomboy for a while and a lot of that was because I was under the influence of my dad and three brothers but also I I felt like the more feminine you were the more of, of like a target was painted on your back and also sure. there was so much pressure because if you were feminine you know, you you, had you really to be, couldn't mess up. You couldn't. Then you really couldn't mess exactly. up. Exactly. Yeah, you you yeah. really couldn't mess up. And also, you had no. And also, no, uh, people no would excuse. be like, people would be like, "Who do you think you are? You think you're so pretty? You think you're this? You think you're that? You know?" And and I also sensed for a long time that I was not going to be like one of the most beautiful girls in school. And that's also because the family that I came from, my mom, my mom didn't value looks that much. She didn't value it. She and probably because her mother did to an absurd degree that she that my uh, mom my mom was rebelling against that but so i didn't it. really know my mom didn't like shopping she didn't like jewelry she didn't like makeup she didn't like any of those she never focused on her appearance she always she always uh, like the only pictures i have of her wearing makeup is if she's in a play at mm-hmm. you know her high school or at northwestern where she went mm. i i think mm. that she it, that was something she drilled into me and so mm-hmm. And also she wasn't, even if she had been, she wasn't around during those years. So I was kind of lost. Yeah. I didn't know, really know what to yeah. do. So yeah. I also knew that I wasn't going to be the most beautiful girl. And as I got older, I realized, oh, you know, and that like, like when I auditioned for boarding school, I was like, oh, not for my boarding school, but boarding school, the show. My, my pilot. Your that pilot. I, that I did. Yeah. Was, yeah I, I learned. I was mess, like, actually. oh, okay. I'm not the, I'm, I'm not the pretty girl. And so... They're going to be making me be the fat girl, and the fat girl is the butt of all the jokes. And the fat girl is, yeah. And I'll tell you what, that the girl that ended up playing it was was not heavy set by all means. And it's insane. And even if she that were, that's messed they up. They knew it was wrong. Yeah. It's Fox. They yeah. were trying to be salacious when salacious was like still edgy this was like pre-kardashian and yeah they were doing these weird things where my character actually ends up kissing a guy at a bar and oh right it and it turns out, out he's a teacher. teacher yeah he turns out to be the teacher so it's like a ross and rachel will they won't they but it's highly illegal yeah so like and i was 16 kissing eddie mcclintock or whatever i was maybe i was 18 and i keep forgetting how old i was e- 18 time escapes us but also when you when you have an entire childhood but also 18 it's very strange to me that people are like, oh, 18, it's fine now. It's like, yeah, oh, it's so funny. you couldn't, and people would do this. It would be like, oh, you couldn't you couldn't fantasize about Emma Watson or Dakota Fanning or Elle Fanning, you know, a day ago, but you can now. Like, like mm-hmm. fuck well, you. They do. Yeah. yeah, I know. But, I know, trust me. But what I would say is that I, I also felt that being feminine was very vulnerable. 
Definitely. So, oh, this is the podcast Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And so I wanted to move away from that. I wanted to move away from that. Sure. And I also knew if you're, you know, it's a line and a chorus line. Um, different is nice, but it sure isn't pretty, you know. Oh uh, God, uh, I love that. I, I never knew anyone who was different. That. Yeah, pretty is what it's about. I never knew anyone who was different who couldn't figure that out. So uh-huh. y- you, you, yeah. If you, oh my God, and, I love that song. Now yeah, I, I love that, that song, song too. And that's kind of, and... And that was another thing, too, is that in theater, I could be beautiful because yes, absolutely. they don't care so much about your your face. They care more about your voice. They care more about the way you carry yourself. Your talent. Your ta- your, yeah. Uh, yeah. And so yeah. I could be I could I could play Juliet in a class. Mm. I could I could play Hermia, even though I knew I wasn't those types because they they were, you know, they were very beautiful, but they were like. They were like, you're short and you look cute from on stage. So, you know, it doesn't matter as much. And right. I, I had, there's like pictures of me in like a, in like a corset and like a, a dress doing like a early 19th century waltz with somebody like, it, 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 and I look, and I do look very beautiful and beautiful in a way that I wasn't yeah. going to ever look on screen. And I'm not saying, by the way, I'm not like, I'm not over here being like, I'm ugly, I'm ugly, I'm ugly, but it's like. Good, because I was about to hype you up, so. <laughs> I mean, that has been, like, my own struggle that I've had to deal with, but I also, like, I know that people are attracted to me, and I know that I have qualities about myself that I like, and I know I have good days and bad days like everybody else, but it's also the difference between playing basketball in high school and playing basketball professionally, you know? Mm-hmm. Or being okay, tall sure. tall enough to be the in the fashion show in the mall versus being a professional model or being, oh my God. you know. Have you, have you seen have you seen this meme? It says you're not you're not ugly, you're just poor. And it's like the meme <laughs> of like a Kardashian like before no, and after. It, it's yeah, so it's true. Pretty, it's it's pretty, so true. It's like, pretty harsh. Do you know how many people I knew, so many girls I knew who grew up wealthy ended up modeling? And mm-hmm. it's just because they could pay for all Did those things. Did they have things, a lot of plastic you know? surgery? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's what it is. And also, I think yeah. all the time, like, well, not all the time, but I've thought before, like, oh, could I get plastic surgery? Should I? And I'm like, well, what would that, what would that be saying if I, if I did, you know, that, that like, and, and I think like, I, I know I've known people who have had plastic surgery and I like, and cosmetic surgery. And I'm like, good for you. That makes you really happy. Like I've, I've seen right, people who've had course. it done. And everybody, yeah. everybody has stuff done to some extent. Like I have bonding, right. I have bonding on my teeth. I have, you know, mm-hmm. I've definitely had things done, like like not serious, but like to my teeth. And yeah. and you know, everybody yeah. has these things. And like like so many people get Botox. People get Botox for headaches. Like it's yep. really not a big deal. But I do right. feel like for me, I do also kind of want to be like you know, oh, you, you, you know what? You don't have to have a perfect nose. (laughs) You don't have to have, and, and also a lot of this is. It's a part of who you are. Yeah. And also a lot of this is like different cultures and such too. Like, Mm -hmm. I think there was a, was it Gigi Hadid? One of them said recently that she felt like she'd erased her culture. Yeah. She'd erased, she'd erased her, her, her culture by like, by, by getting, you know, by changing She said, I wish I would have kept my ancestor's nose or something Exactly. Which is like really kind of profound because I'm like, yeah, that, that is, that is something. Coming from her, that's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Coming from her, I think that's, that's pretty interesting. And that's, that's something that I think too, like, yeah, it's like, am I getting rid of like my Jewish nose and my like you know, high Irish forehead, you know, right, like, right. <laughs> like it's, it's what my, no, that's who you are. Yeah. It's what my family has. I've had has. the same problem. I've had the same problem, by the way. I had a manager 
basically tell me that I would only start to work again if I had a nose job. And he like yeah. looked into um, non-invasive nose jobs or like, you know, he started looking into this stuff for me because yeah. I, I was, and I was devastated, devastated. And, and, and my brother had always made um, little like quibs about my nose being nubby or something. And like, yeah. you know, it's so funny. Like one thing I did do is I posted to TikTok about that moment and it was very cathartic to have so many people be like, that's ridiculous. And like, it's silly to think that like community helps shape you, but it does, it does help people yeah. like us. I feel like feel a little bit more seen in, in the narrative that we choose to tell. Now it is some interesting that you had said, um, you know, I don't feel like I'm this like well-read, you know, academic person because I, as long as I've known you as an adult, it's been as an academic because <laughs> the, the, the story that came yeah. out to me was here's Mara Wilson. She's at NYU and she's a writer now. And like, <laughs> she's got this like, She's got this awesome Twitter. Okay, and but, look, but where now did she's you go to college? Where did you go to college? I went to Barnard at Columbia University. Uh, okay, so so Ivy League. Took me twelve yeah. years. No, 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 no. It took me twelve years to graduate or to walk rather, and then. Honestly, like I, I went there for political science and I thought I was going to be like Angelina Jolie because who doesn't yeah. like literally love Angelina Jolie. But I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to do humanitarianism. Like it's my whole calling. My like dad, F my dad has a pilot's license. And every now and then he'll be like, did you know that Angelina Jolie pilots her own plane? And we're like, yes, dad, we know. We all know it's how cool hot. Angelina Jolie is. <laughs> we all love Angelina Jolie. Yes, exactly. I know. God, she's such a queen. Anyway, so, um, yeah, you know, look, like, like I had these, like, big picture thoughts for myself. But did you, when you were going into NYU, finally feel like you had the Idlewild experience of, like, that sort of almost like a diet acceptance? But didn't, when you came to NYU, <laughs> what did that do for you? It was hard at first. I okay. the thing about NYU is there's nobody holding your hand. It you are you are thrown into the deep end of the pool there and it is a very career conscious. Yeah, and into New York. And it is a very career conscious school, so everybody is there to get a job. And I struggled a lot my first semester or two and uh because I was sleeping through classes and I, mm. I've i always had problems with keeping my attention on the right thing. And sure. in New York, there's a million things to distract you, even if you're yeah. not partying and, and having like the time of your life. Like I barely left. I barely left Manhattan my first year. Even if you're not doing that, you're still there's so many things to distract you. And Definitely. and so I was I was I, I was not I did not have the best grades my first semester there and uh, or my first year there, really. And, um, and it took me a while to finally, finally, I like got into therapy with a therapist ah, that I really liked. Cool. And finally, I, I'd been in therapy Smart. sort of on and off. And there was a wonderful one at Idlewild too. Uh, oh, he was, he was a great cool. guy. Uh, but, yeah, see, if we have, if we yeah. have these therapists available to artistic kids on, in a school, like that should exist it, yeah, and social workers should exist for professional kids. That's all. Well, I you have. have I mean, this is something that I I actually want to enact legislation about, and I've heard that Allison Stoner wants to too, and that's why the two of us should talk. I think. Um, uh, yeah, I'm. I you want to add me? CC me, yes, okay? Yes, CC please. Me. Yes, please. Uh, and it's something at the at the at the convention that we did last time, I talked to everybody about it. And as soon as I talked to everybody about it, they were like, oh, thank God you brought that up because we need that. Yeah. But yeah. 
Yeah, good. Then are, you know what? If yeah. other if other celebrities are to get involved, amazing. Oh yeah. I think that it needs to be a trifecta. And what and what Allison had said too was, you know, she did the module thing that she's been doing. Yeah. And I don't know if you were in on that. Um, I thought you were. Did you, were you in on that call that she did? That was like a, a couple people. No, because I never met people. her. I never met her. But oh. I, I probably oh, no, should no. be. No, no, I'm gonna. Yeah. Listen, you're hearing this first, everybody. That like me yeah. and Mara and Allison Stoddart, we're all of the like mind to do something. Yeah really cool and in the future. I've been talking but. to I've been talking to Anna Schlemsky about it. I talked to all oh, of good. everybody from Hocus Pocus about it. I talked to Matt good. about it. I talked to Lisa about it. I've talked to so many of my friends, including friends who, you know, were never Lisa would be great child too. Yeah. stars, but were, well Lisa's yeah. very into like therapy you know, first and, of all, yoga and such. You don't have to be a child star to have yes. been traumatized by being in the arts at a young age in, mm -hmm. in a professional capacity. In fact, it, some of it is the people that have like not I mean, succeeded Olympians, at a young age. my gosh, like the people yeah. who are in gymnastics, even if they weren't horrifically abused, which too sadly happens, yeah. you know, in, in figure skating, in gymnastics, these things, even if there's not that, there's still pressure. There's still pressure from eating disorders and, and, yes. and, you know, to, to, to just, that is something that, and, and, you know, there are sports psychologists out there. So I'm like, why are there not performing arts psychologists? And in oh fact, my God. At, Tish, yes. at NYU, they did have, uh -huh. they, they started you out with a therapist who specifically worked with art students. And then they would refer you to somebody they're probably, else. Yeah. They're because NYU does have a history of suicides on campus. They do. That was one thing that, I mean, I have a lot of criticisms of NYU, but they had very good, uh, they had very good mental health support. They had the wellness So that's exchange. who you started to go see? You started to see their therapist? I saw their therapist else? and then eventually they referred me to an outside therapist and she okay. is actually still my therapist today. Uh, Interesting. See, this is yeah. what I'm talking about. That's great. Lifelines are yeah, very important. Exactly. And so, and and there was a there was a 24 hour uh, there was a 24 hour hotline at NYU that you could call, and eventually, if you needed help, they could refer you to somebody else. But interesting. I used to call them because I'd had a panic attack. I called them with like big existential fears. Where like, yeah. you know, I'd take a philosophy class or something and then afterwards I'd be like, what does it all mean? And, you know, call like, them in the triggered. middle of the night and yeah, and just yeah. be like, and be like, we're all going to die. What do we do? And, you know, what's that's the meaning awesome. of life? I mean, and, that's not awesome, but yeah, exactly. Cool but just like, but just like, yeah, it was, it was very cool that they had that. And they had, they also had like, uh, I, I remember talking to this one girl who I'd seen in a couple plays at at uh, NYU, and she was fantastic, like one of the best actresses that I'd ever seen. And uh, afterwards, she went on to do Yale Drama School, and now she's doing like a bunch of professional stage work, and she's fantastic. And I remember running into her once, and I was like, oh, yeah, you were so wonderful in, you know, this. you were so wonderful in this production of like Spring Awakening we just did at school. Like what, uh, you know, I, I, and she was like, have we met before? And I was like, yeah, I think we have. And she goes, yeah, you were at that reducing anxiety seminar. <laughs> so we were learning how to do belly breathing and, and things like that. Oh. And it was, it was very, so NYU had that. And that was That was great. the culture, the culture of mental health and inclusiveness to it, mental health. Was, it was, was it was, life. but, but it took me yeah. like a year or so to get there. And, and the reason was at first I couldn't accept help. I, yeah. I couldn't accept help. And the only person I would accept help from was my boyfriend. But that put a lot of pressure on him because yeah. he was, you know, he was still just a teenage boy and right. he loved going me, but he had, thing. yeah, he had, he had his own stuff that he was going through. He was trying to figure yeah. out, did he want to go into film? Did he want to go into law? Did he want to be a writer? Yeah. Did he want to do what? Like he eventually became a yeah. lawyer, which, uh, 
he seems to like really love. But it was it was just he he you know, it it was for a long time. I was just so dependent upon him. And and it was I think that happens a lot in your first serious relationship. I had the worst. (laughs) I had the worst first. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, we won't even talk about. Yeah, we don't need to get into it. But I think. That's even if a whole you, other topic. <laughs> even if you have a happy relationship, it might not always be the healthiest when you're first, you have your first, you know, serious relationship. And like, yeah, especially when you have had, I feel like a lot of stuff go on in your childhoods. Um, yeah. Yeah, man. It's a lot to unpack and it continues to be a lot to unpack. But basically, I am curious though. So, like, you're at college, you struggled the first year. Then when do you decide that you want to start writing and be a writer and then come back to, like, L.A.? I mean, like, I remember you, I felt like you were a ride-or-die New Yorker. And then when you moved I, I thought I was too to L.A., I was like, wow, this is I, a full circle moment for Mara. Yeah, I, I kind of thought I was too, but, I, I mean, coming back to L.A. is a very recent thing for me yeah. in terms of, like, life phases. And sometimes I wonder if I made the right choice. Uh, and sometimes I'm like, why don't I why don't I move to another state? Why am I not living, you know, somewhere? Why am I not living in Seattle? Why am I not living in... in Austin's great. Austin is great. <laughs> Austin is I had a wonderful time in Austin, in Austin two years ago. That was, I was under, I was having a lot of pain and stress in my life at that time. And then I went to Austin and had like one of the best weeks that I'd had in years. I, I went to like Barton Springs. I... I yeah. hung out with one of my favorite musicians and he was incredibly kind and lovely and like Aww. what I want to be when I grow up. Yeah. Oh, uh, that's awesome. Shout out, shout out to it? Rhett Miller. You were, Rhett Miller from the old 97s. He's, oh, cool. Uh, yeah, okay. they're a big Texas band. They're a big Texas oh, band. Cool. They're actually out of Dallas, out. but they perform. Yeah, and he also does a lot of stuff with like different musicians and comedians and things like that. So he's like always that's at Austin the Largo right in L.A. Yeah, performing okay. with different comedians. He has a great show that you would you would also actually be great on. Let me see if oh, I can cool. make that hook up. Oh, thank you. Uh, okay. But he's very open about mental health and like sobriety. Mm-hmm. And I just, uh, I yeah. just stopped drinking for health problems. And he was so cool about that. And uh, and like my publicist doesn't drink either. So like we all just like drank Are you Topo Chico. I'm, Hell yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm kind of like well, like You're I sober, stopped drinking. Uh, sober curious. <laughs> well, I stopped drinking because because of health problems that I had. Sure. And that was another reason sure. why moving back to L.A. was a good idea for me because uh, I was fainting whenever it rained in New York. It rains a lot in New York. Uh, oh, my God. And okay. it turns out I had a blood pressure condition. And that blood pressure condition oh. got worse after I had uh, – like I had a virus and I was sick for a couple weeks. And after yeah. that, it was kind of like long COVID where you just get really sick. And so my early 30s were a mess. And then when I finally got that under control, that's when um, – I started having all of these like really horrible pains uh, in like hmm. like stomach pains and Jeez. things like that that were unexplained for years. Yeah. And oh, that man. turned out to be endometriosis. So ah, just when I'd like nailed down one problem, they were like, oh, by the way, you have this other problem. You need surgery. You need PT. You need all of these things. And I was just like, and and for a couple years there, I was so miserable. I was like crying all the time. I was not myself. Yeah. And my friends around me were mm-hmm. like, "You were really not yourself." My my family was like, my friends and family were like, "You you were You're a struggling. different person." Yeah, interesting. And and uh, and so I mean that stuff didn't happen until later. But right, I think that like for me probably what 
what turned me really into writing was I always wanted to be a writer, always, just from 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 the moment that I knew what books were, I wanted to write books. And mm. that was just my lifelong dream. And anytime people asked me in interviews when I was a kid and making movies, they would say, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I would say, I want to write. Mm. Maybe I'll act, but I want to write. And so, but I didn't really know what, and I, I usually, it's funny because when I was reading a lot of scripts as a kid, I started to write my own scripts. And then, and then, uh, and actually it's funny, I really wanted, uh, uh, my friend Lacey Chabert, <laughs> who is also a child actor, I really wanted her to be in one of my scripts. And I, I was just asking other child actors I knew, I was like, will you be in my show? And they're like, I was nine, so, you know, they're going to humor me. They're like, yeah, yeah. sure, Andrew Keegan's going to be in your project. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but then, but then I, um, then, and, and I, then I, I, I wrote whatever, I wrote basically based on whatever kinds of books I was reading at the time. Yeah. I, and then, uh, but my prose was always really terrible. It was always just like, it was always just like, uh, you know, Shannon walked down the hall and, you know, stuff like that. And yeah, and like a script. <laughs> it, it was just very silly. It, it, it kind of had this like Da Vinci Code type thing of just like it was very clunky, you know, yeah. uh, very clunky. And and then I took a playwriting class with my teacher, mm-hmm. Jenny Mahoney and at NYU at NYU. And okay. I realized that I could let my characters speak for themselves. Hmm. And I had spent so much time in my life overhearing adult conversations and also eavesdropping on my teenage brother's conversations. So mm-hmm. the first full play I wrote was about teenage boys because okay. that was from the time that I was, I think, five until I was 14, there was always at least one teenage boy in the house. And th- sometimes there were three teenage boys in the house. And yeah. there was always this. And my brothers were like. My brothers were very smart, smart asses. They were like if Ferris Bueller got all A's. So mm-hmm. there were, they were kind of. Smart, were, smart asses. I love it. Exactly. So they were all, they were all uh, very, they, they had this like Greek, there was always this Greek chorus of teenage boys in my house, just all of their friends all around. So yeah, that was, that was what I did. I wrote a play about teenage boys. And, oh my God, uh, I want to read that. Yeah, it's. I don't know if it's age well, but it was really fun to write. And yeah, sure. uh, and I'd be happy to send it to you, though. It was called Sheeple. Yeah. Uh, Actually, was, I... Yeah. Hey, man. But, I, I would love to see you do more of everything, more producing and, I and, do, and even well, directing. Directing, I was... I, I tried to direct in college, and I wasn't that good at it. I think that I just didn't have enough confidence in myself. And I remember okay. at the time... Uh, I remember at the time... I had a dramaturg because they would assign you a stage manager and a dramaturg and you would also in turn stage manage for people and dramaturg for people. Uh, and she basically helped me direct my play. She directed my play for me. And yeah. now she's like, she just, she's, her name is Annie Tip. She's a fantastic director and she's now yeah. a working director and she's doing, like she's doing Dave Malloy's Octet up at Berkeley Rep. And like wow. probably will have a Broadway show within the next few years. Annie Tip is a amazing. fantastic director. And that's one really cool thing that's come out of NYU was so many people now that that I worked with, I've been able to connect with other people. Like I'm on a show called Hell of a Boss. And uh-huh. uh, there was a friend of mine who wrote really cool musical theater that's sort of like sort of like South Southeast. He's from Florida. He was kind of a yeah. and he had that had kind of a fun eccentric twist. So yeah. I, I went to, to, to Vivienne, who does the show, and I was like, 
look up these musical theater people, look up this person, Andrew Butler would be very good for this. And he ended up writing a song for a character who's uh, the embodiment of lust. And it's ah. very fun and sexy and silly. And uh, and they had, you know, James Monroe Englehart, who's a Broadway actor, come in and sing it. And I got to be like a friend yenta and a career yenta. And that's like one of my favorite things to do is be like, you guys should talk. You guys should talk. You know, yeah. I'm going to introduce yeah. you to, to you. Like, yeah, my, this is another my, reason. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go for it. What am I? No, one no, of no, my no, like best it. friends from one of my like favorite friends from from college. He's just he's a wonderful guy. Like I took his I I. I had his husband meet my friend who does music because the both of the, the two of them do music. And I was like, you two should work together. You two would love each You're other. You have the same sense of humor. Yeah, that's what right, I want right. to do, which makes me think like, I mean, I do want to direct, but I feel like probably producing is more my style. <laughs> right. Sure. So yeah, I love that. That's love something that, that I want to do. And now that like my health is a little more under control, yeah. I, I want to do this. And acting has been up and down for me over the years. Although recently what I've started to do more of which has really sort of scratched the acting itch, so to speak, is audiobooks. Yeah, because girl. it feels like theater. Yeah, it does. It I is know the what closest thing I can feel to theater because you are playing all the characters. Yeah. And you don't need to do, it's not as like precise as with yeah. animation voiceover. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, you control the pacing and. You control the pacing. You, and you give your best performance and you can, yeah, I like it a lot. And your characters exactly are, and you don't need to do a totally different voice. Yeah. You don't need to be, you just know. Just a little different for yeah, every character. Yeah, you don't need to be, be Tara Strong or Chris Sumner or like any of, or, yeah. or Chrissy Romano yeah. Rumi, you know, being oh, able stop. to do a no, million I'm different voices. I'm the same freaking person. I don't know about that. Hey, you are, so what are you doing right now? What can we promote? Uh, where are your audiobooks? Do you have a recent audiobook that yeah, we can Yeah, I do. I have one that came out called One for All that I yes. really loved doing. Uh, also, yes. if you're a Night Vale fan or Night Vale curious, uh, it is Welcome to Night Vale has a book called The Faceless Old Woman Who Secretly Lives in Your Home. I also did, what well, I mean, it's kind of an audiobook. It's kind of a podcast. It is not safe for work called The Pet. That was very fun to do. Uh, and and I also am in the show Hell of a Boss. I was also on BoJack Horseman. Uh, yeah, both of which can be found online. Uh, and so, yeah, that's what I've got going on. Writing wise, I've got a couple of projects that knock on wood will pan out pretty soon. (laughs) Yes, I'm knocking for you. Yeah. And, uh, (laughs) and yeah, and I'm, I'm recording a couple other audiobooks right now and we'll see, uh, we'll see when I can announce those. Amazing. I mean, obviously I think, I think that now more than ever, people can come out of the woodwork and show you how how positively you've impacted their lives and their childhoods, and yeah. in in some way, I feel like that's gotta that's gotta help sort of almost like enrich the circle of your journey. It it does, um, and I think that when I was a kid, I couldn't accept the compliment. I understand. It was too yeah. hard, it, it, and it just didn't feel. I, I couldn't. It's complex. It is. I couldn't accept it, and now I can, which is really, really nice. Yeah, good. I'm really, really happy to hear that, and I'm happy to hear that your health is getting better. And honestly, this this is the first conversation of something I think we should continue in studio um, in L.A. Um, with Allison. And so I would just tease that maybe there'll be a part two pending yeah. everyone's availability. And we may be able to really, you know, in the future, really do something cool and work together and help people and and um, I'm just excited to have you in my life. So yeah. thank you so much. Yeah. And thank you for letting me ramble. <laughs> oh, my God. I love your rambles. I love yeah. them. They're not rambles. I love yeah. them. Yeah. 
All right. Well, always lovely to talk with you and always lovely to do yes. stuff with you. And we'll and, and we'll of keep course. we'll keep at it. We'll keep doing it. <laughs> Vulnerable is hosted by me, Christy Carlson Romano, produced by Elizabeth Joy Windham and executive produced by Brendan Rooney. Our sound engineer and editor is Elizabeth Joy Windham, and our video editor is Eduardo Gamba. Follow Vulnerable wherever you listen to podcasts so you can join me every week for a vulnerable conversation. And be sure to follow Vulnerable on Instagram and TikTok at The Vulnerable Podcast. And make sure to tune in to my YouTube to watch the video version. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit amfam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.